So Psalm chapter 42 and 43 is really one psalm, most theologians believe. And so you'll see the flow of the text as we read through it. I'm going to read through it all in its entirety, and then we're going to talk about part two of hope in God. When you think about sometimes you get in a pit or you get in a hole and you don't know how to get out of that pit and you don't know how to get out of that hole. And some of you are not going to need this message tonight because you're not in the pit and you're not in the hole. But let me just encourage you. You may want to file this one away because you're going to need it one day. You never know when you're going to need what the text says tonight. So I would encourage you to be open to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. So Psalm 42 is the psalmist is trying to climb out of a hole. And there's the ebb and flow in the text of one minute you would think that he's getting out of the hole. The next minute you'll understand he just sinks right back in. And that's oftentimes the way life is. It one, one day you feel like you can bear it and you can handle it in the idea of depression. Because the idea would be in this text, the psalmist would be depressed. So he's depressed and he's acknowledging his depression. And one day he's reaching out and hoping for God and you feel like he's finally got it. The next verse he says, why have you forgotten me, God? It's a realization in the walk of the Christian faith is that we don't have it all together all the time. But we do have a God that has it all together all the time. So we want to make sure we go to the source. So Psalm chapter 42 you can follow along with me. It says this, As the deer pants for water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Here's the, the, the Psalms are, are, are songs. So the psalmist, they would sing the songs. Here's the chorus. It started in verse 5. Here's the repetition of it in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. 
Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Here's the last part of the chorus. Why are you cast down, third time? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So you see the psalmist here. The writer of this psalm would be the sons of Korah. They would be worship leaders in the temple. Um, they had to overcome a lot of things because I'm just going to give you a quick background. Uh, their parents and their grandparents were grumblers. They were anti-God. They were uh, rebellious toward God. And somehow God was able, he wiped out a whole generation of Korites, except the sons of Korah lived. So the sons of Korah, because they lived, they chose a destiny that was different than their parents. Their parents didn't serve God, uh, but they did serve God. So you can't come in here tonight and say, I am the way that I am because of my background, because of my upbringing. Here's why. Because when you meet Jesus Christ, all things are gone. Uh, all things are passed away. Everything has become new. You don't live in the past. You live in the future. So these sons of Korah, that wrote this psalm, this was incredible, that they chose to worship God. They chose not to be a victim. They chose to be a victor. So they were the writer of this psalm. And so they were worship leaders in the temple. That's where you would get in verse 4 when it says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I used to go to church. I used to go to the temple. I, I used to do things like this. But they were struggling in their walk. So they were, they were actually out of work because their work was in the temple. So they were away from the temple. They were away from worship. And so in verse 5, because of the ebb and flow of this text, you will see this text deals with depression. And if you know of somebody who's going through depression, if you know of somebody who has anxiety or fear or worry, then this is a text that can help this person walk through and navigate through what they're facing. And you'll notice that the psalmist never gets there because that's the way it is in life. There are moments where you feel like you're getting where you need to be, but you back up and you may not be where you think you should be. So we'll start with verse 5 because the idea is they're trying to find hope in God. And so the text says, and the psalmist says here, hope in God, for yet... Well, let me back up. Why are you cast down, O my soul? We just talked about in the song, we just said, it is well with my soul. Well, the text here says, why are you cast down, O my soul? The idea would be, the word picture here is an animal waiting in prey, hunkered down, waiting to strike his prey because his needs have not been met. The idea of the word cast down would be, my soul feels like it just continually gets cast down. It continually gets thrown down on the ground and it can't get up. That's the word picture here. So the question is, why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And the next part of the text, and why are you disquieted within me? It would be the idea of turmoil. The word disquieted means turmoil. It would be a word picture of uh, going to a beehive and disturbing the beehive. So the idea is there's buzzing, there's turmoil, there's rebuke, there's doubts in this situation. And then what the psalmist does here says, hope in God. So the little phrase, hope in God, the idea would be the psalmist begins to talk to himself. Hope in God, trying to grab himself by the shirt collar and say, I know how I feel, and my feelings are oftentimes fickle. I've got to get back to the place of worship. I've got to get back to the place where I can understand who God is. But he just can't seem to get there. So he says, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. So he begins to talk to himself. Now, listen, when you get into a place of despair, and a place of depression, you begin to talk to yourself. Have you ever been there? Could we just be honest tonight? Many of you have been in depression and not even known it. You have. All of us have gone through depression at times. All of us have been to that point where we are talking to ourselves just like the psalmist is talking. But here's the problem. You can talk to yourself, but you need to not let yourself have the last word. You need to talk back to yourself. And the idea is, he says, hope in God, for yet I shall praise him. Don't let yourself have the last word. Because the idea here would be that they were to worship. They were to get hope in God. The idea of the word hope is to see beyond what you see that you're looking at. It means expectation. It means to have faith in the meantime. It means to look forward, not just look at your situation and your circumstance, but hope in God. So the psalmist was grabbing himself and preaching to himself. And oftentimes in my own life, I preach to myself. I talk to myself, and I talk back to myself, and then I finally come to the point where I say hope in God, and I grab onto that expectation and hope that I have in the anchor of who Christ is in my life. But I want you to see the psalmist was struggling. He was struggling here in verse 5. For the help, the last part of it says, for the help of his countenance. And then he says in verse 6, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me, thrown down again. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan. So what happens is oftentimes in uh, times of depression and times of struggles, there will be sweet memories, but they cause bitter pain. You begin to remember. You begin to remember what it used to be like in the temple, what it used to be like when you were getting a fresh touch from God, what it used to be like when you were able to share your faith and when you were on fire for God. And sweet memories cause bitter pain. And the idea is, he says, therefore, I will remember. I am trying to come out of this hole. I'm trying to come out of this pit. And memories have caused me some, some bitter pain here. But it says here in the text, notice it, from the land of Jordan. You see, they were about 150 miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place of worship. Jerusalem was the place that they needed to get back to. So the sons of Korah were 150 miles away from Jerusalem. They were in a mountain area. They were in Jordan, the land of Jordan. And so they would 
have memories of what God did uh, with the Israelites at Jordan, uh, splitting the sea. And then it says, and from the heights of Hermon. So Hermon was a mountain range, and there were some battles that were won from uh, Sihon and Og that were won there, that battles that God won. So these three geographical locations or a picture that they were away from God. So what you have to do is you have to come down the mountain of depression and get down to the bottom of the mountain so that you can move your way back to the place where God is. That's what they were remembering. As they remembered the sweet memories that caused bitter pain, they realized how far away from worship they really were. And then it says, and from the hill Mizar from the hill Mizar, a small mountain range. So the idea is that they're trying, they need to go home. They need to get back to the place where they should be. You know, in depression, you know what you need to do, listen carefully, but you can't get there in your own strength. You can't. You, there are people that, that I talk to, and, and I know in my own life as I experience uh, sometimes anxiety and fear and even depression, I call it what it is. Uh, I've taken two classes, full-on classes on depression uh, way back in seminary, and I'm going back through some of my notes to see if there might be some things that I need to give attention to in my own life, and I'm not afraid to say that I can ask for help. And, and, I'm, and by the way, if, 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 if we as pastors can't ask for help and get help, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're putting on a show. That's what we're doing. We're telling you what to do without us doing it and leading. I'm just not afraid to do that um, because I have to watch uh, my own life and I have to see what God's doing in my life. So I want you to know that, that I've lived in this passage and I'm going to tell you some places that I've lived in this passage. And so the psalmist here is describing they couldn't worship, they were away from the temple. They couldn't work because they served in the temple. They couldn't walk on dry land because they were drowning. Notice the text. This is what it feels like. This is the emotions of depression. This is the house that depression lives in. Look at verse 7. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. So the idea would be like this, that, that it's wave after wave. That's the way depression works. It's, it's wave after wave after wave after wave. It keeps hitting you, and when it hits you, it hits you again. And the time you come up to get a little air, the time you come up to just take a breath, here comes another wave. And that's the way it is. And people that we work with, that we live with in our communities, there are people People that are having wave after wave after wave after wave of depression hitting them all the time. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. So the idea is there's this deep cavernous pit. And if you've ever been on a cruise or you've ever gone snorkeling where you kind of, uh, I did it in Cozumel. And I, at first when I got out there with my, it took me a while to put my fins on and my snorkel and my mask and then I duct taped. Uh, this part to this part right here, and I'm, I'm just out there like this, and it's about 10 feet, and I'm diving down and seeing the fish, and then all of a sudden, I must have got a little further than I wanted to, and it was deep, and it was dark. That's the idea of what the psalmist is saying here. It's like, it's like as, as far as you can see to the bottom of the sea and those depths of the sea, the deep calls unto deep. Wave after wave begins to crash against me, so that's the feeling that he was having. 
I remember one time, I think it was in, in Cozumel, we did a snorkeling uh, trip, and then after we did that, um, we did some jet skis, but I remember kind of getting all the gear on, and I think it was near the Bahamas, and so I got everything on, and you, you, you see, I'm fairly white. I mean, I, I've got to put SPF 150, I've got to get my mask right, because I know it's going to leak, and I've got to get the snorkel, and then I have to wear a hat so I don't have to keep getting cut by the dermatologist, so I've got a fin here, and I've got fins out to here, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, uh, the leader of the party is saying, let's go, let's go, so I'm, I'm getting pounded by waves, and I'm, I'm, I'm snorkeling, and I'm, I'm flipping, and the fins and everything, and I, somehow I got sideways, and I thought that I was swimming to the top when the wave hit me, and I was actually going down to the bottom, and so when I hit the bottom, all of a sudden, I just remember that the wave ended up throwing me on the shore, on the land. And I told God that day, I said, I'm a land brethren from now on. You'll never catch me in the water again. I've never been in the water again. I said, all of my gifts are land gifts. I just appreciate the fact that, that I had to experience the pain and the waves to, to understand who I really am and how I'm really gifted. But here's what I want you to say. For all of us in this life, as we journey in faith, and none of us have arrived, all of us are on a journey. If you've arrived, you come teach this message. As far as I understand, I'm being sanctified. I'm on a journey. And, and a journey in the walk of faith is there going to be deep, dark days in all of our lives where the waves continually pound us, and it's all in how we respond to this. But this is exactly where the psalmist was. Notice the text. Deep calls unto deep the noise of your waterfalls. All of your waves and billows have gone over me. Here's what I've had to understand. God's purposes are being served in dark times in our lives. It says it's God's waves and it's God's billows. We want to blame somebody else or we want to blame the devil. And God says, no, I have a purpose that is greater than what you can see. So sometimes the waves, I determine the waves, I determine the breakers. Freeman, you're just trying to get up and get a breath, but I want you to know that my purposes are being served through your life faithfully. If you will yield to me, if you will trust me, if you will understand that I'm doing something in your life that's bigger than what you can see. So the idea was the psalmist was just getting beat up and beat up and beat up. And people that are in depression feel like they can't take another wave. It's going to hit them again, hit them again, hit them again, but they can't take another wave. That's why we don't want you to park in guest parking. <laughs> I'm serious. What if somebody is, what if this is our last chance to minister to somebody and they have a plan to end their life and they can't find a parking spot? You will stand before God and so will I. Do not park in guest parking. <laughs> I'd be afraid to. Listen, when we greet somebody in the lobby, when we give a look and a word and an affirmation to somebody, that may be the last one they ever get. Don't you ever think that somebody has it all together. Don't you think that the pastors and the staff always have it all together. And don't think you always have it all together. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. Some of us are just trying to make it, trying to take the next step, trying to make the next move. But we're asking God for the strength just to make the move for us and help us. That's where the psalmist was. Look at verse 8. The Lord will command, this is a word of authority, the Lord will command his loving kindness 
in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. So he affirms, the psalmist, he affirms God's sovereign love in the midst of this passage, that God is personal, that God has not forgotten him, and the Lord will command authority, his loving kindness in the daytime. You know, the daytime seems to be, most of us can navigate through the daytime, seems fairly positive. I understand the Lord's affirmation of me, and I understand that loving kindness. And every day, God goes, His loving kindness goes to all of us. It's not in the daytime that I struggle. Notice what the text says. And in the night, His song shall be with me. In the night. Have you ever been awake at night while everybody else is sleeping? Have you ever been awake and you couldn't get back to sleep while everybody else was sleeping? What, 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 what do you do when you're in the night and you can't sleep? And daytime has been fine, but nighttime is a whole nother story. The psalmist says, and in the night, his song shall be with me. The idea is that the psalmist is learning how to praise in dark turbulent times. Can I tell you something? Some of the people in this room that have known the greatest storms have experienced the greatest worship because we have found that God is faithful in the midst of a storm. We have found that our God holds on to us. We have found that he is faithful. And out of that faithfulness to us, we're not faithful, we're very faithless. But out of his faithfulness to us, we have found that we have a song in the night. When I can't sleep at night and I've popped every pill that there is, and it's legal, NyQuil seems to work for me. But there are times when I don't sleep. Let me tell you what I do. I get my phone that has my list on Spotify, my playlist, and I start listening to worship music. And I start singing. I even put headphones on because I don't want to disturb my wife. And I sing in my heart. We have something that they didn't have back then. So it says, his song shall be with me. He says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. I'm able to handle the waves maybe during the daytime because I'm with people, but it's at night that becomes very difficult. So it's almost like the daytime is positive and the nighttime is negative until you understand what the psalmist is saying. And he says, in the night, his song shall be with me. It is a beautiful thing when God begins to show up when everybody else is sleeping and you can sing praise songs to him and he can minister grace and peace to you. And the prayers go up and the worship goes up and you're able to just be still and know that he is God because God has you and me in a still place. It's night. No one else is up. So you have to get to the still place before you can hear the still voice. And at nighttime, sometimes that's where people have their greatest worship. It's been for me. People that deal with anxiety, that deal with fear, that deal with depression are oftentimes up at night. And I love the encouragement here. It's not a negative thing at night. That's what I thought. Night is negative. No, it's actually positive. See if I can explain it like this. You remember back in the day when you would take a picture? And then you would take the uh, picture and then you would put the negative in a pan? Some of you remember that? And then you would pour this solution in the pan? 
And then what you would do is you would uh, begin to move that pan like this so that, the, so that the waves, the solution would go over the negative. And so you would kind of be going like this and moving back and forth. You know, you, you, you didn't think that the negative could work. But what happened was the solution was providing the positive. So what seemed negative was having wave after wave after wave of solution poured over it. And all of a sudden there's a beautiful masterpiece in a picture coming forth from the negative. And that's exactly what verse 8 says. What we think is negative, what we think nighttime is negative, no, it's a positive because there's the solution of grace that has been growing over our lives and God begins to mix it and he begins to use it and all those things that are negative begin to back up in our lives and God is making a beautiful masterpiece out of someone who's broken to their heart and he's saying, I can still use you, I can still do something to me with your life, just surrender to me at night. I hope you sleep well tonight, but if you don't, I pray that you'll remember verse 8. His song shall be with me. I'm blessed to be in both worship services. And we have wonderful music, praise music, that goes straight to Jesus. We call it blended, what's blended? We call it contemporary, what's contemporary? Here's all I look at, theology. That's what I look at in the song. Does it talk about Jesus? Is it activated by the Spirit of God? Is it dominated by the Word of God? We have wonderful worship. So worship here should drive us to worship and glorify God. Just so, so whatever your favorite songs are, maybe it's just, it is well with my soul. Sing that in your heart and understand that God may be taking a situation that you feel is negative in your life, but he's got the solution of his grace that is going over and the waves that are coming over that negative. And he's bringing forth something beautiful in your life. And it takes time. When, when you get into depression, it takes time to get out. Let me give you another plug. We have a counseling ministry. Make an appointment. Do it. You'll be pleased. We have professionals that can help you. We help people all the time. The psalmist says here, look at the text. Moving on. Here's what he says. Notice verse 9. I will say to God, my rock... That's his confession. What is, the, what is true about God? God is my rock. Why have you forgotten me? That's the next part. Do you see it? He's here. Now he's here. Cast down. Now he's here. Hope in God. Cast my soul down. No. So here's what he says. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Question mark. Look at the text. Why do I go into mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Question mark. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Question mark. Looks like you've been abandoned. Now look in verses 9 and 10. Three times, when you have more questions than you do answers, there's a good chance you're in deep depression. That's what the psalmist had. There's questions all over this text. He had more questions than he had answers. And so the, the thirst for God here is written from someone who feels that God is a million miles away. The psalmist who's writing this feels that God is a million miles away. I want to say this. If you feel like God is a million miles away tonight, you're not alone. You're not alone. A lot of people feel like that. But you got to be careful with your feelings the language of feelings, and the fabric of faith is very different. So you see right here in verses 9 and 10, he has the language of feeling. God has forgotten me. God has not forgotten him. When we say that God has forgotten us, he hasn't forgotten us. 
But we're going through difficult times. Why do I go into mourning? Because of the enemy. So the idea is that there's a taunting that's going on in verse 10. Where is your God? Like he's abandoned you. Um, So the idea is that you have to be able to engage your mind and heart. And when you hear these voices, it's kind of like a good referee. A good referee is always getting heckling from the crowd. But a good referee can make a call, and he can put on noise cancellation headphones. By the way, if you need some of those, I've got some. They're good. It cancels out all the noise around us, all the stuff that we shouldn't hear, and it just focuses you in. They're called noise cancellation headphones. Some of you need to put on some noise cancellation headphones because you're listening to the wrong people. You're going to the wrong places for advice, and you need to say that God is my rock in verse 9. You need to go back to who it is, the strong foundation. God has not forgotten you. That's what you feel. The fact is he has not. And so why do I go into mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. So you need to deal with these feelings. And so you look at everybody else and you don't focus on the truth. And that's what was happening here in verses 9 and 10. I remember one time, you kind of have to use a fire extinguisher on some of those negative things. Noise cancellation headphones will help you do that. In the 80s, My office was across the street in the annex where Dr. Jim's is. He's actually in the same office. And I came over here for lunch. We had to get our mail from over here because we didn't have mail over there. So you had to come to your box over here to get your mail. So I was in the hallway and all of a sudden I heard, I was right by Brother John's office down that hallway, education. And all of a sudden someone said, Brother John's Suburban's on fire. Brother John's Suburban's on fire. And so I just grabbed the fire extinguisher. It was in the hallway in the office area. And I went out and several people went out and we just began to put out the fire. It was really on fire. And so, and then I kept doing this. I thought it, I didn't realize it was not healthy, but I was shooting the stuff everywhere. We got the fire off. I thought, this is fun. And I just kept going like this. Listen, the idea is with depression, you got to put some of that negative thought away and the people away and where is your God and all of those thoughts. And you got to fire extinguish that. And you got to live in the truth of God. He is your rock what the text says. Now look what he says in verse 11. Here's what he says. Again, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. He's preaching to himself again. He's trying to grab a hold of the word hope. For I shall yet praise him. The text says here, I I can't praise him. I really want to get to the point where I praise him. So I've got to grab a hold of hope because I'm hoping that when I grab a hold of hope, I'm I'm grabbing a hold of God. And when I grab a hold of God, he's going to pull me out of the pit of loneliness and fear and depression. And I'm going to leave the spot where I was. So I've got to hope in God. That's what he's saying here. But my soul feels cast down. That's what he says. The help of my countenance, verse 11, and my God. Psalm 43, remember, he's just trying to get home. He's trying to get home. This helps you deal with somebody who's trying to get home or trying to get help. It's going to make sense in a minute. Then he says, he uses a judicial term. He says, vindicate me, O God. Vindicate me. In other words, judge me, O God, and argue my case. Be my defined judge. Be my defense attorney. Uh, Defend me. Deliver me. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of 
my strength. Let's stop there in verse 2. So you see, he has no strength. They couldn't worship because they weren't in the temple. Uh, they, they couldn't worship because they weren't in the temple. They couldn't work because what they did was they served in the temple as worship leaders. They couldn't walk on dry land because wave after wave after wave was hitting them. And then in this text, he says, why do you cast me off? So the idea was this, uh, excuse me, for you are the God of my strength. I don't have any strength. Not only can I not worship, not only can I not work, but I am very weak. I don't feel like I have enough strength, so what I need to do is grab a hold of hope in God, which is where my strength comes from, for you're my refuge, for you are a God of my strength. Have you ever been to a place where you just didn't have any strength anymore? Don't tell a de depressed person, oh, just read the Bible. They can't get there. They can't. They, they, they may want to, but they can't get there. You, you need to walk with somebody carefully. You need to go and walk with them very gently and very carefully because the, the strength is available in God, but they're, they're so weak and they're so beaten and they've been hit by so many waves, they don't feel like they have any strength. So the psalmist is trying to get to the place of strength. Look at the text. For you are the God of my strength. So I don't have any strength. I can't get back home. There's no way I can even take another step because of the waves hitting me. But you're my strength. So he's, again, he's, he's, he's trying to come out. He's trying to get back home. Why do you cast me off? Here's his question. You may want to write this down. He thought God had left him. When you look around and God is not there, guess who moved? Think about it. When you look around and God's not there, guess who moved? See, he thought God had moved. Why do you cast me off? Turn your back on me. And then he says the question here, why do I go into mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And then he starts to grab a hold. It's in this text here. It's coming up. So the idea is that the strength is in God. God is his rock. He's been having that God talk. He's trying to appropriate that in his life, but he keeps going back to the questions. And then here's the key, verse three. Here's the key. Here's what the text says. Oh, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. What he is saying here is, I don't even have enough strength to make a step towards you. So I need you to send me. Get this word picture here. I need you to come and get me. I need you to send me light. And I need you to come get me and send me truth. I'm dialing 911. And I need to get to the hospital. And I need an ambulance now. So I, please, would you send your light and would you send your truth? Do you see how people are? We, we think, oh yeah, you just be strong. You just suck it up. You just be, you know, come on, man. You got to have some with itness, whatever. You got to do that. Listen to me. What the psalmist is saying is, I can't even make another step. I'm so weak. So I need light and I need truth to come and get me. That's the way it is in, in the gospel. Think about that light and truth. So I need what the psalmist is saying is I need light and truth to escort me. Back to the place of worship. I cannot get there on my own. I need light in front of me and I need truth. Now, when we take it to the New Testament, who is the light? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. 
and he can come into your light and come into your dark heart, and he can bring light to you. So we certainly see that connection, oh, send your light. So it's that I can just get to Jesus. And then he says, and send your truth. The truth is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. So I'm calling 911, and I need an ambulance to come pick me up because I need to go to the hospital, and I need light and truth to escort me to a place of safety. That's what he's saying. Here's what I've learned in my life. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to express your pain out loud. Jesus went to the cross and he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus Christ did not keep what was inside of him. He took his pain and what he was feeling and his suffering and he took what was inside of him and he said it out loud. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Some of you may be here tonight and you've been keeping it all in. May your prayer be this, oh, send light and truth. And so when God sends light and truth, he's sending a person into your life. It's Jesus Christ. He is all light and he is all truth. The fact is, I don't feel like getting out of bed. The truth is, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he can help me get out of bed. The fact is, I just want to throw in the towel. The truth is, God still has a plan for your life and has a plan for my life, even though the waves are hitting us, even though we feel weak, even though we feel tired. For God, you are my strength. Send light and truth. Let me put it another way. Give me a map. Give me a map. You know, if you want to get to a destination, a map tells you where you are, and then it tells you where you're going to go, and it tells you how to get from where you are to where you're going to go. And so God's Word is a map for us. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us who illuminates the Scripture. So when God says, when the psalmist says, send light and truth, we can make application in our own lives. If you want to come out of the pit, if you want to hope in God, keep your Bible open and just read a couple of words and ask God to speak to you. If you will spend five minutes unhurriedly, it is more effective in the kingdom and for your personal walk than to spend 35 minutes with your eye on the clock. Just spend five minutes. Just read two words. Just read a sentence. It's beautiful. God, send your light and send your truth. Let them, look at the text, let them lead me. That's where I get the idea of escorting. Let them lead me and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. So the idea is that there's light and truth. Light is leading me and truth is leading me. And sometimes I need a little push. So I need to get to the holy hill. I need to get to the place of worship. And oftentimes our problems are the very, and and our depression and our discouragement and our anxiety and all those things that we think are a negative, that actually there's a solution of the positive that God is working in the midst of those, that God gives us a little push because light and truth are out in front of us and we're trying to get to that place of worship. We feel like we can't make it and then God does something miraculous. He begins to throw rocks. Let me see if I can explain it to you. There's a little boy who had a a little uh, boat tied to a string And the little boat that was tied to the string, he would let the boat out and he would pull it in. And he would let the boat out and he would pull it in. And his dad was with him watching. He would let the boat out and he would pull it in. And one day he let the boat out and the string broke. And he said, Daddy, 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 my boat, my boat, my boat, my boat, Daddy, 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 my boat, my boat. 
And so he saw his dad. He said, he said son, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So his dad went over to pick up some rocks. He goes, no, 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 daddy, don't, 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 don't hit my boat. Don't, don't hit my boat. Don't throw rocks at my boat. And so the dad knew something that the son didn't know. God knows something that you don't know in the situation that you're in. And so what happened was the dad began to pick up rocks, and he began to throw those rocks at the boat. And all of a sudden, the son said, daddy, don't do that. Don't throw the rocks at the boat. Don't throw the rocks at the boat. I made that boat. I built that boat. And all of a sudden, the son that was angry began to be encouraged because he noticed that sometimes what was happening is the rocks that were being thrown were being thrown just beyond the boat. And what happened was the rocks that were being thrown just beyond the boat were actually not moving the boat further from the little boy. They were actually moving the boat closer to the little boy. So all of a sudden you've got a daddy who's picking up rocks and throwing rock after rock after rock. And the son's on the sideline, throw another rock, daddy, throw another rock, daddy. Because what happens is that he was throwing the rock and the boat was coming closer. So you got this little boy on the side going like this. Come on, daddy, throw another rock. Listen to me. Sometimes God throws rocks. And they're for our good. And they're for our purpose. And God's throwing a rock and we're saying, oh God, I can't make it. I can't. Sin light, sin truth. Why are you throwing rocks? God says, I'm bringing you closer to me. I'm bringing you closer to me. I'm bigger than you, Freeman. I'm stronger than you, Freeman. I can serve my purposes with or without you. But I want you to know that I will lead you with truth, and I will lead you with light, and I will give you a little push sometimes, and I'll throw some rocks. And those rocks are for your good, and they're gracious from me, and I have a purpose in your life, and I'm going to fulfill that purpose. And I'm going to get you back to the place where you can sing again, and you can worship again. Look at the text. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I'll go to the altar of God. The psalmist is trying to get home. God's throwing some rocks. God's been throwing some waves. He's been hoping in God. He's asking God, where are you? He's getting to the place where he's coming back to the altar of God. You know, you had to go 105, 150 miles back to Jerusalem. So they had to come off this hill, if you will. They had to come off this hill when they had to leave uh, Mount Hermon. And it was, um, when you left Hermon, it was 40 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, which pours into the Jordan River, which flows south uh, from there that leads to Jerusalem. You go on a highway that's parallel to the Jordan River. It's called the King's Highway, and it goes past Gilead where God has planted some trees and they have some healing balm on those trees. And so the, the idea was they had to go all the way back to get to the place of Jerusalem and go past the place of healing and then go back into the temple and worship. Can I tell you something today? We don't have to take one step. We just cry out to Jesus and he meets us right where we are. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. You want to go to the place of worship? You need to know the person of Jesus Christ. You can worship him in the storm. In fact, I, can, I think, and this is not a proud statement, I think my worship is more meaningful now because of the storm that I'm continuing to go through. I don't take things for granted. And maybe God has me right where he wants me. And I need to preach to myself, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God.
bring me to the place of the altar of God. Jesus Christ, I'm wrapping up, had his own altar. It was the cross. They nailed him to a cross. They didn't have to nail him because he wasn't going to run. He chose to die. He loves you that much. So they put him on a cross, lifted the cross, fulfilled prophecy. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. He died a cruel, vicarious death on that cross. They put him in a grave. He said he wouldn't stay. He prophesied that. Uh, said king of the Jews over the top. So they were saying what was true of him. He was a king, although they thought he, they had killed him. No, he was the king. He's going to be worshipped because he's coming out of that grave three days later. So when you think about the altar of God, here's all you need to think about. Everything Jesus Christ has done for you is the altar of God. He sacrificed his life willingly. So that I could experience, verse 4, coming to the end, to God my exceeding joy. To God my exceeding joy. The Hebrew word means gladness of my rejoicing. My joy does not depend on my circumstances. Because if it did, I'd be a wreck. My joy depends on who's in me. My joy is not a destination. My joy is in Jesus who is my life. And on the harp I will praise you. Oh, my God. Oh, God, my God. Here he comes with a third time. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Preach to yourself. Grab hold of the expectation of God. You won't be here forever. God will pull you forward with hope. You just trust him in this moment. You surrender to him. You live in humility. You walk with grace. You trust him. He's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. Freeman, you're not God. God says, I'm God, and I'm not God. So hope in God, yes, I'm preaching to myself, for I shall yet praise him for the countenance of my God. The word hope in God means to patiently wait for someone greater than yourself to help. That someone is Jesus Christ. He's greater than me. I close with this story. There was a man who was so frustrated because his windshield was so dirty. They had cleaned it so many times and cleaned it so many times and cleaned it so many times. He says, it's dirty, it's dirty, it's dirty. And it was clean. They cleaned, it was clean. His wife said, give me your glasses. <laughs> she took the glasses off his face and put it over here and cleaned up his glasses and put it back on his face. And he said, the windshield's clean. The windshield is clean. Listen, don't look at the world and your situation through smudged, dirty glasses because depression is not your God. God is your God, and you can trust him. Would you bow your head? Father, I pray for those in this room, for myself, for all of us in this room that deal not only personally with what does it mean to hope in God, but we know people who are trying to grab hold of hope in God. We have friends, we have neighbors, we have people that we've crossed paths with in these hallways that are actually one wave from going down, and we don't even know it. And I pray for people in this room tonight. I pray for people that feel they're in a dark place and in a dark space. 
I pray that you would give them a fresh touch of your grace and mercy right now in this moment that you would just breathe life and hope. I pray you would send light and truth into their heart and into their life in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray they would open their heart up to you so that you can massage the pain and the hurt. And God, when they don't feel like they can take another step, that they would just say, for God is my rock. That's what I know. I may not feel like God is my rock, but I know he is my rock. And so I pray you would just lift the cloud. And what I'm super duper encouraged about is in this psalm, these two psalms together, the psalmist still struggled, still struggled. It's oftentimes a struggle and it needs miracle working power. And we know that Jesus Christ is the only one who has all authority and all power. So we just yield to him. I pray if there's anyone here that has never met you as their Lord and Savior personally, had you touched their life in such a way that you remove their sin and remove their guilt and remove their shame, if you're here tonight and you've never given your heart to Jesus and you know that you, if you died, you would never, ever see God. There's no hope for you now. There would never be hope for you in eternity. But you can turn that ship around tonight, and you can back up the train, and you can say, Jesus, save me. I know, I know I'm lost. I know I have sin. I know I've never confessed you as Savior, and I want to do that now. Receive him. Now, just pray a prayer. Dear Jesus, save my soul. I repent. I turn to you. I trust you by faith. My hope is totally in you, not in myself anymore. God, use this. Use us. Use me. Use this faith family to minister to people in this community that are dying because they're getting hit by wave after wave, and we have the answer in Jesus Christ. For his name, for all of the glory that belongs to him. Amen.